Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, now would be a fantastic time to get them out. Flip on your device. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 today. So flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. It's a slim letter in the New Testament that um, most people agree that Paul wrote it to the church in Ephesus. And, um, you know, we've been celebrating, and we are celebrating, uh, our graduates today on a on another calendar that we follow as a church, the liturgical, that's a fun word to say, the liturgical calendar. Um, you know, we had Easter a few weeks ago, right? Well, more than a few weeks ago now. Just seems like recently. But the time period after, we, we kind of remember and think about all of the resurrection appearances that that Jesus made to his friends and disciples and so forth. And he had instructed them to uh, wait. He had told them about the gift of the Holy Spirit that was to come upon them, um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God that we, that we preach. Uh, Jesus had promised his disciples, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and fill you and empower you, and we celebrate that today. It's Pentecost Sunday, the time where we... Uh, intentionally remember when the disciples were gathered in that upper room, this is Acts chapter 2, and they were praying and the Holy Spirit descended upon them. And there were the little tongues of fire and uh, there were all sorts of people gathered in Jerusalem and they spilled out of that upper room and they started preaching the gospel and and they were able to preach the gospel in all of the languages that were present in Jerusalem that day. And so today, we're, we're, not, um, we're not focusing in on Pentecost Sunday. We just had a whole series um, of messages kind of between Easter and now on the Holy Spirit's influence in our life. Um, but Ephesians is a book that gives us instruction on how to live life in the Spirit. So if you'd stand with me, I want to read the first uh, seven verses of chapter 4. Paul says, Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you received from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love and make an effort to preserve or maintain the unity of the Spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and one Spirit, just as God also called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. God has given his grace to each one of us, measured out by the gift that was given by Christ. That's probably enough for us to chew on for a little while. This is the word of the Lord we've been taught to say, thanks be to God. You can be seated. <clears throat> well, if you have a bulletin... 
or if you have a core guide, the, the gist of the whole message, I put it in one sentence, and it's the title of today's message, and that is, I want to encourage you to be the cohesive agent in a combustible world. So that's a really good place to start right there. Be the cohesive agent in a combustible world. One of the churches that we had the privilege of serving, one Sunday morning there was a, there was a couple wandering around our parking lot. Somebody had waved them in, and, well, they were, they were just doped up on drugs. They were, they were higher than a kite. Didn't know where they were going. I don't know if they knew where they had been. Um, they were just a mess. And we invited them in, <clears throat> started to uh, listen to a little bit of their story, uh, it was early on a Sunday morning, so really the activities of the church hadn't quite ramped up yet. Uh, we had our Sunday school hour first and worship hour second, and, and so there, there were a few people in church that were there and wanted to help them, that they, they just brought them along to their Sunday school class with them. And, and this class just kind of formed around this couple and just loved them, fed them, uh, took them out for lunch after church, took them home, just spent, kind of spent the whole day with these people. Part of, part of their story was they, they were addicts. Um, pretty much out of money, they were lost, broken, you know, all of the words that, that go along with that, just kind of rock bottom. Part of their story was they, they kind of knew that they had this issue that was going on, and somewhere back in the day, maybe it was a Sunday school lesson or people from their youth who they remembered, hey, you know what, when you get to this place, church might be a really good place to land, to seek help, to seek God. Part of their story was they, they went to multiple churches. And they showed up and they felt like there was a stop sign on the front door by the way that they were treated. We don't serve your kind is kind of the message that they received. And it was terribly discouraging to them that the place where they thought that they could go for refuge and for help actually made them feel smaller than they actually already felt. I was thankful for our people who gathered around them and stuck to them like glue. Not just on a Sunday morning, but in the days to come, in the weeks to come, 
we had the opportunity to, to pray with them to receive Christ. We had the opportunity to baptize them, and they are now ministry leaders in that congregation. If it weren't for people who were cohesive agents in a church, they would probably still be lost and broken somewhere. I think it's terribly important that we remember who we are, whose we are, and remember the places from where we came ourselves. We might not have the drug addict story. Ours might be much more devious and subtle, battles that go on in our mind, uh, lying and cheating and stealing and, and all of these things, we might have that as an element of our story, and that's every bit of something to be rescued from and taken out of and put into a new place. See, my, my friends, they were, they were looking for a place to belong. They were looking for love and acceptance you know, I think we all, deep down, I think we all want to know that somebody's on our side. We want to know that there are people in our corner who are cheering for us. We want to know that there's people out there that have our back. Uh, we want to participate in groups and places where respect is practiced. We want to know that we're truly loved. We want a place where we can be ourselves where we can kick our shoes off. We want the kind of people who will pull together with us. These kinds of places seem to be coming, to be becoming fewer and further in between. But I, my contention is that the church can buck that trend, can go upstream. That the people of God can be cohesive agents that bring people together instead of divide them. We live in a world that's on the edge of exploding, and so these groups where you can really truly feel like you belong and you can trust the people in them are uh, spread further apart. And, and I think it's because they're under severe and heavy attack. The devil brings out his A-game when he sees the people of God coming together and ministering to people. I mean, if you think about it, way back at the beginning of our scripture in Genesis, God brought a cohesive family unit together, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Well, what happened to Adam and Eve? They fell victim to a snake attack. I don't like this. I want to create... Fear. I want to create doubt. I want humans to feel prideful and selfish and that God is just holding out on us. And that's the devious nature of the devil's work as he gets our brains going in that direction. And then suddenly now we, we lose trust in each other and, and that causes us to question our relationship with God and what he has told us. And of course in that very first family there's there's murder that takes place and places where people 
can come together and belong and be loved are under severe attack. There's two kinds of people in the world. There are combustible people, and there are cohesive people. There may be other kinds, but for the sake of the next few minutes, there's two kinds of people in the world. Combustible, people who are ready to explode at any given moment, and there are people who are cohesive, and they stick like glue, bring people together. People who are combustible and explosive, um, they're always going off about something. You know combustible people, right? They're never happy. Um, they shatter relationships and they scatter people. There's nothing that is like an attractive force in them. They explode and people go away from them. Um, they're like dynamite that goes off in the middle of families and workplaces and schools and teams and um, when they explode, they send emotional shrapnel flying everywhere. People get hurt. Lisa and I were shopping um, at Fred Meyer recently. And when we have a few items, we like to go to the self-checkout. Park your cart, you know, put your items on the way station. You better make sure you get them all in there because the machine can be kind of nasty. That's mean-spirited machine right there. Like, put it over there as soon as you're done scanning it. Okay. Well, we're trying to navigate this and get it right. Across the way, there's a couple. He was combustible. Apparently, the machine was giving him the nasty gram, and he was blaming his wife for it. She wasn't doing it in the right way to his satisfaction at the speed at which he wanted to progress through the line, and he lost it. I can't repeat what he said. But you could look at her, and you could just see her shrink. You could see the pain in her eyes. At one point, I thought I might have to intervene. He was combustible. Like dynamite, he exploded, and there was a terrible wound that he left. And we live in a world right now that's it's on the verge of exploding. It's tense. It's adversarial. Um, we're encouraged to take a side and defend it with everything that we have. It doesn't seem like we live in a time and place where there's many people who are willing to step across the aisle, if you will, to reach out a hand in love and in friendship and in, uh, in a spirit of dialogue and unity, we, we live in this world that's just ready, it seems, poised and, and ready to e explode. We're, 
we're fed a message that we're not supposed to extend mercy and grace. Whether you agree with our president or not, it is not right to belittle him on social media. That is not how Christians should operate. But in our world, that's the way we're taught to do it. That's what our friends are doing, and we just want to pile on when we have this grievance. We want to vomit our opinion that is negative and derogatory and demeaning to all sorts of people. That's what the world is doing, and that's how we feel like we're supposed to respond, blast them. If, you hold a diff if somebody holds a different opinion than you, then you just shoot them down with your words. Cohesive people kind of are the opposite. They bond people together. Double-sided tape. They're like Gorilla Glue. They are like Velcro. When you are in the presence of a cohesive person, you just, you just want to stay in their presence because they're encouraging, they're life-giving, they are typically uh, joyful people, able to find a measure of joy in just about everything, an air of positivity about them. They stick tight with you even when times are difficult, even when you may disagree about something they have this way of holding things together and letting you know that just because we may differ on something, I still love you. I still love you. I think deep down, because we are made in the image of God, we all want to be cohesive people. There's a kernel of that in all of it, even if we are combustible folk. Deep down, there's this nugget that says, I really want to be a cohesive person. But sometimes we fall prey to how the world acts and we explode. So what we want to know from God's word this morning is how do we stop exploding and how do we start becoming uh, cohesive people? And Throughout, Ephesians is a letter about a cohesive God. He's bringing everything together in Christ. This letter is full of words like one, one. In two verses of our text this morning, the word one showed up seven times. Words like unity, words like peace, words like together. These are all cohesive words, and, and Paul dares to make this bold claim that Jews and Gentiles, who were mortal enemies at the time, can come together without blasting each other. And so because it's in our text and the church has said we need to preserve this letter because it teaches us how to be like Christ, it's not just about Jews and Gentiles who can stop bloodying each other, it's about us today. We can we can lay aside differences for the sake of being unified in Christ. He holds all of it, all of us, together. In our text today, Paul begs us to live up to our calling as cohesive people. He says to the Ephesians, you have been called together by God. I encourage you, 
I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling. Now, calling is this dynamic concept. God speaks, God calls, he calls things into existence. Uh, at the beginning uh, of our scripture, you know, he spoke a, world, uh, a word and the world came into existence when Israel found herself trapped in slavery in Egypt. He spoke a word and called Moses and, and led the people out of... This is a... When we talk about calling, it's something that is, goes all the way back to the, to the very beginning. And, and um, his calling is a... God's calling is a creative act in our lives. He just speaks things into existence. And, you know, I can't really do that. You, you can't really do that. Jesus, his ministry, he's walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and he sees some guys messing around with their fishing nets and their boats, and he calls out to them and says, hey, drop that, come follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of people. You can fish, but for something else. Jesus called that group of people away from something, and he formed a group around him, and he called them into being his disciples. He calls to you. He calls to me. He calls to us. He calls his church into existence to be his holy temple, to, to be his dwelling place. He calls us together in his son. That is the unifying, cohesive agent, is Jesus. We are one in Christ, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, says Paul. And because we are called together, he says you need to live a life that's worthy of your calling. Now, that's a worthy, that's a hard word for us. We're not, we're not taught that we're worthy, like truly worthy of a whole lot, that we're not worthy of of God's grace. And so, how is Paul using this word in, in this passage? And the Greek word that he uses, you don't have to remember this, um, it won't hurt you, the Greek word is axios. Axios. And it's a, it's a term that comes out of the farmer's market. So, if you wanted to buy 50 pounds of wheat. You would go to the farmer's market, and there would be a scale, you know, a balance scale, center and the fulcrum in the middle, and, and you've got the weights and the little dishes hanging down here, and they would have a measure of weight, 50 pounds. They'd put it on one side, and then on the other side, they would just keep shoveling wheat in until what happens? Till it's even, right? Till it's balanced. When it's balanced, that is worthy. It's axios. Worthy. Paul says, he uses it in a spiritual term. He says, when our life matches our calling, we are worthy. When our speech matches our actions, we're worthy. So we look at the picture of Christ in the gospel and we set Christ's example on the one side and 
Paul says, live a life worthy of your calling. Look at Christ and start lining up your actions and your speech and your behaviors and your thoughts and everything so that you balance that scale. Live a life worthy of your calling. Verse 3, Paul talks, uh, he makes a key point in in verse 3. He says, uh, make every effort to preserve or maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So he's moving on from this metaphor of the scale, and he's going to tell us some ways that we can start living in a manner that is worthy, okay? And so we, we read this, make every effort to preserve or maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now, in that sentence, which words start to jump out at you? Unity, effort, spirit, I think, I think we overlook a key word in that. It's preserve. Maintain. Maintain. Maintenance. That's not an exciting word, is it? Some of you are really good at maintenance, keeping up with things. I am terribly impressed. But I think first about maintaining a yard. And I gotta tell you, I gotta, I have, I'm at all out war with a couple moles right now. <laughs> you know, I have been after them, and I, every morning, you know, there's like a new little bump in the yard. I don't know what gets me more angry than <laughs> seeing the work of the moles in the middle of the night. It's work to maintain a place, right? Your car, your yard, um, there's all sorts of things that we have to maintain, and they're routine. They're repetitive. You don't do it just one time. It, the idea of maintenance is that it's ongoing. You always have to pay attention to it. And so, okay, Paul, that just sounds like a, a lot of hard work. Because if we don't maintain things, what happens? They fall apart. They get messy, they get overgrown, the car breaks down, you know, your car runs out of oil and the engine seizes and locks up. And God has given us unity. In fact, he gives us the unity that he has in, in, in himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the unity that is in the triune God. He gives that to the church. He gives that to us. And Paul says, you have to work at maintaining that. That's a huge responsibility that you have right there. So how, how do we do this? How do we maintain unity? I'm not talking about, be careful here. We're not talking about uniformity. Uniformity is like having a bunch of clones that all think and act and look and do the exact same thing. What we're talking about now is unity. God, Jesus came, he died on the cross to save us from our sins, and he doesn't, he doesn't, um, he doesn't say, save us from all of the differences, all of our diverse places and thoughts and everything. He doesn't save us from those. He saves us in them. We're talking about unity, not uniformity. So how do we do this? Paul gives us four things. The first one is uh, humility. Be humble. 
We need to work on that attitude in our life. And how do we learn about humility? Well, we look to Jesus. He, he's our example. He, he came down from heaven to earth. He humbled himself and took the position of a servant. He traded a royal heavenly robe for swaddling clothes and eventually a shroud. He, he traded his royal throne in heaven and sitting on that to kneeling at his disciples' feet, washing their sweaty and dusty feet. He, he traded his place in heaven for his place here as, as a servant. He taught them that greatness, true greatness, is found in being a humble servant, and he showed them how to live that. So look around in your, in your journey. Now look around this room. Look around your family. Look around your school. The places that you will go, always be looking around and pay attention to who you see. And ask yourself, can your heart set aside opinion and position and pride and say, I'm here to serve you? I might think differently about all sorts of things, but I am here to show you the love of Christ and to be a humble servant. Practice humility. That's how unity is maintained, is through a spirit of humility. When we learn to be humble and to serve other people, no matter what, you will begin to be a cohesive person and other people will start to gravitate towards you and around you. The second attitude that Paul says we need to cultivate is gentleness. Be gentle. And how do we learn how to be gentle? It's the Sunday school answer. Jesus, right? People mocked him. People opposed his teaching. People arrested him, lied about him, beat him, crucified him, but he never once retaliated. People sinned against him, and he did not lash out in return. That's gentleness. That is not common. How do you respond when people treat you badly? Do you lash out with your words, with your keyboard? Do you respond in anger? Do you live to get even and pay them back? Replaying conversations over and over in your mind and figuring out, hey, the next time they say this, <clears throat> I know exactly what to say. How do you respond when people think differently than you? How do you respond when people offend you? Do you turn your nose up at them? Do you consider ways that, do you ever consider ways that you could answer in gentleness? Respond out of love. As you move out from this place, graduates, people, into all of those places that I mentioned, look around. Pay attention to the people that you see. Look at the people who have sinned against you. Look at the people who have wounded you deeply, the people who make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. 
can you be gentle with them? That's how unity is maintained, through gentleness. When we learn to be gentle with others and not respond out of anger, you will begin to be a cohesive person that people are attracted to. The Velcro will start to stick. Well, there's another attitude Paul says we need to cultivate. He says, be patient. Patience. I know, now I'm just meddling. Can't we just work on being humble and gentle for a while? I wish. How do we learn about patience? Jesus. Jesus, yes. It's the day of Sunday school answer. How many times did Jesus' own disciples misunderstand his teaching? How many times were they confused by his parables and asked him questions? Like, it had this puzzled look on, Jesus, I don't get it. How often did they scramble for earthly power? Hey, Jesus, when are you going to take over the place? When are we going to kick out those Romans and just conquer everybody? When, when's that going to happen? You keep claiming you're the Messiah. That means there should be this, you know, uprising, overthrowing. When's that going to happen, Jesus? I want to be number one when we come into this kingdom. I want the, I want the corner office and the best chair. And, and, and then, you know, James and John, you know, their mom came to ask Jesus, hey, can my boys sit at your right and laugh the positions of honor? And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. Constantly they're, they're doing this. They're getting the message wrong. They're confused, looking for something different. I mean, and these are the guys too. They, they fell asleep. Jesus said, hey, it's a tough night. Can you pray for me? I'm going to go over here. I'm going to pray a little bit. Can you just stay right here and pray? What happened? He comes. Oh, what time is it, Jesus? Can you do it again? I fell asleep again. At the time that it mattered most, they disappeared on him. Can't be found. Peter disowned him. I don't know that guy. Constantly, the disciples are stumbling around like this, yet Jesus was a patient teacher, and he set this example for them, and he never, ever quit on them. He never gives up on them. He never cracks and said, I've had enough of you losers. I'm out of here. I'm going to go find people who may behave better than you. He was totally, totally devoted to them. That's patience. Because you go out, look around. Look at the people who frustrate you. Look at the people who just push you to the edge of your patience. How can you respond to these people like Jesus would? God has given us this spirit of unity. He He has enabled us to respond with patience. That's how unity is maintained, is by practicing these things. Humility, gentleness, patience. And when we learn how to be patient and when we learn how to go the extra mile with people, that's how we become a cohesive person. People start gravitating around us. And we bring and hold people together in these attitudes. And the fourth thing, there's one more. Paul says we need to accept each other in love. Other translations say we need to bear with one another in love. 
How do we learn how to do this? Jesus. Jesus, you got it. Jesus loved. Jesus loves everyone, every person, you. He even loved people who were really heavy to carry. The outcasts, the lepers, the zealots, the sick, sick people, the social outcasts, people that, that uh, in that time and place, everybody who was lumped in the sinner category, Jesus went to those people. They, I mean, some of these people are, that they're hurt and brokenness and pain and suffering. That's just a, lo- a lot of weight for him to carry, and Jesus loved them. He loves the people who are just like a ton of bricks laying on his heart. It would be easier to just cut that cord and and move on and think that you'll be freer and lighter and not not having to deal with that, but that's that's not how Jesus practiced his life. He bared with people in love. He accepted people out of the abundance of love in his heart. It's not always easy. It's not a love that's this warm, fuzzy kind of feeling. It's an act of your will. Some of us can be prickly on occasion. Or, you know, like a porcupine. You know, I, I like porcupines and all, but I don't think I ever want to give a porcupine a hug. Jesus moves past all of those sharp, prickly quills says, I'm going to love you how you are. I'm going to show you a way to be different. God gives you the ability. He gives us the ability to. You as a person, us as a church, he instills in us that ability to do so so that we can be a cohesive place to belong for people who are lost and broken and looking for love. So I'd ask you, do you have people in your life that just kind of steal your joy? The ones that, they, you know, they always have a perfect plan for your life. They're just people who are heavy to carry around. Some of them wear the EGR logo on their forehead. Extra grace required. There's people in your life whose words sting whose actions wound. Paul says, bear with one another in love. Some of you are like, yeah, I can bear with them. I'm going to go grizzly on them. That's not, <laughs> that's not really what he's talking about, FYI. Accept one another in love. You're going to have to, as you go out, graduates and others, you will be confronted with people whose ideas and values are different than yours. Some of them will be extremely obnoxious about it. They will be rude, they will be dismissive, they will be hurtful, and you're going to need to deal with them. How do you do that? You bear with one another in love. 
You practice those other humility and gentleness and patience. All come out of the abundance of love that God implants in your heart. That's how you become a cohesive person. A cohesive agent in a world that's coming unglued. Sounds simple. Paul just, he spits it out in a few verses and he's like, hey, just go do that. You'll be good. That's a lifetime of work and practice right there. Maintain this. It's ongoing. You've never, you never truly reached the point. There's constant practice that goes into that because once you respond well in one situation, well, there's going to be another one and you're going to have to make that choice again and again and again. The only way to be the cohesive agent in a combustible world is to know Jesus. He is a cohesive Christ. And, and you need to start there. You need to invite him into your life. And you need to try and pattern your steps after he would. Live your life worthy of your calling. Put Christ in this dish over here and try and live into it in a way that you are axios and balanced. In a world that's ready to explode and rage and divide, be the one. Be the one who pulls people together in unity through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can do it people of God said. Amen. Mm, amen.